Hello and welcome to Sound and Vision, the show that you used to listen to before it went off air. <laughs> I am your host, as always, as if you can remember me, Ian James. And again, as always, if you remember her, I am joined by the brilliant and beautiful Miss Hope Wade. Hello. And we are back. I know. We're in lockdown. This is our first lockdown show it of is. Uh, 2020. Which uh, is kind of maybe a sign of us just being lazy. <laughs> I was going to say we were so lazy. We just got in a lazy period. Took a two-month break, I think it was. But, yeah. you know, it happens. Yeah, we were um, working on putting more shows out about a month oh, yeah. ago. We have ideas, um, but we just got lazy of doing it. So there's no <laughs> excuse. I ain't making no excuses, but it, we are here. Here we are, yeah. We it, are here today, and we're bringing you some good stuff. Yeah, so here we have episode 27. 27? 27. Oh, we need more than that. Yeah, so hopefully this is the first of many again. Um, we need to hit that 50 mark. That's what we're going for by the end of the year. By, by the end of the year? <laughs> <laughs> I say in the next couple months, just oh, put okay. them out there. She's going to go for it. Okay, so um, basically, because this is the first one we've done in like forever. I know, February I think it was our last one. Yeah, we decided to come back um, basically semi-inspired by my nine-year-old son. Yeah. Who wanted to hear us again. Yeah. And said, why are you not doing these shows anymore? We had other people in the groups, in our groups, yeah, yeah, wanting yeah, yeah. to hear us. Uh, they miss, they miss us. But we just That's what we like to kid off. ourselves. Yeah, we're slackers. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so so here we are. And to celebrate our comeback, um, we've decided to do one episode each, just to get us back into it, of, of a subject that we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, Hope has picked... 90210, of, of course. Exactly. My like, favourite, you know. Like, no one ever seen that coming. Um, <laughs> which, more of later, will, which will be episode 28. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I managed to kind of make a compromise, I guess, for this one. Um, this is episode 27, and this is Psycho. <gasps> Do you like that? I didn't think we had a cat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was my... I, I had a pretend knife in my hand. It, and it was pretend. Um... <laughs> So yeah, this is <laughs> this is my this is my Hitchcock compromise because I said I want to do a show on Hitchcock. Now Hitchcock is a massive subject, you but love. what but what I'm very passionate about, I um, know. and it would just be unfair for me to talk at you for about four hours about Hitchcock. So what we <laughs> what we'll we, try and keep it to one. So what we compromised on doing was just discussing probably his most famous film, and I I chose the word famous, not my favorite, not his best movie, but his most famous movie. What's your favorite then? Mine? Yeah. Um, oh, God, is that a bad question? Vertigo. Oh, yes, that's right. That's only the it, picture yeah. on the wall. <laughs> it's a big seven-foot poster <laughs> hanging behind Hope now. Um, but there you go. <laughs> Which is it's just a, <laughs> it's a bad we've got. Um, so, yeah, we're going to discuss the 1960 low-budget for Hitchcock, now horror classic, um, and, Psycho. And, yeah, and I think the one that's been tried to reproduce the most in films over the years by many of directors, 
that yeah. tried to uh, emulate replicate, its style. Yeah, replicate that style of yeah. Which I, I will bring up towards the end. I'll just go through some of the, the kind of influence that it has on, like you said, on Hollywood and on, especially on horror movies. So just before I take us back to the beginning of the story of, of how Psycho happened, I've just got to ask you, do you remember when you first watched Psycho? No, I don't. I was thinking about that the other day. I was, I don't remember the first time seeing it. Uh, I was probably, had to be in my early teens, you know, 11, 12 do you remember it? Do you remember kind of any anything, any little details of where you were? Or was it just one of those films that kind of happened and you just forgot? Yeah, because like I said, it's America. We had, before, I've said before, we played movies all the time on TV back in the 80s. So I probably caught it on TV at one point before a video. I'm sure I've caught it on TV. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I even watched it on DVD. They play it so much on our movie channel. So Yeah. It gets a lot of airplay, does that? Yeah. Oh, totally. Um. Especially around Halloween or something. Okay. And they do, like, marathons of Hitchcock films, so... Okay. On AMC or TCM, old movie classic channels. So we get a lot of play of it. So I've probably caught it on there. Um, I do remember the seeing the horrific remake with Vince Vaughn. That's something I want to talk about again later. Okay. I will, I will allow you to spiel on it, because... And God, I can't remember how old I was then. What year did that come out? 98. Yeah. So yeah, I was in my 20s then, yeah. But yeah, so I was probably in my early teens seeing Hitchcock, and I was amazed by it, yeah. Yeah, um, and I mean, from what I just said, it almost seems like I don't like it. I do, I love the movie, mm-hmm. I just don't think it's his best movie, okay? Oh but yeah, I, he has but, many. I absolutely love the movie. Okay, so just, just to bring the story... I, I, once again, though, before I do start this, I, I couldn't even tell you when was the first time I've seen it. It's I one of those films say. that's just always been seen. I, rem- I do remember my sister and my dad watching it before me, though. My dad had taught my sister into watching it for some reason. Mm-hmm. And and not me, <laughs> which I was really disappointed. So, am I not allowed to watch that one? Yeah. Um, and, and then I finally did catch up with it. Um, but ha- after hearing those two talk about it, and that's the only thing I kind of remember. I don't re- it would have been on telly for definite, but I couldn't really tell you when and where. Did she love it? Oh yeah, my sister loves it, and the yeah. sequels, which we'll also talk about oh, briefly towards, towards we finish. Especially too. Yeah. Um. So just to um take it right back to the beginning of if for anyone who's interested in in the genesis of Psycho, basically Alfred Hitchcock, which without spending too much time talking about him in particular, is did I mention it was English? A great English filmmaker. Um. <laughs> who transferred over to America in 1940 was given a contract by David O'Shelsnet to go make movies in America. So he had to make it big in America. It's the place to go make money, isn't of it? Of course. Um, so, yeah. America. So basically, Hollywood. they just seen this wonderfully talented British director and, and wanted him in America. Um, <laughs> so he went there in 1940, <laughs> um, where he, the first one we shot there was Rebecca. And the kind of story goes that he was making these films in the 1940s that were very, um, which, you know, which did okay. And then into the 1950s, I'm trying to pick up the story as quick as I can. He, he basically went through what most Hitchcock fans will consider his most fruitful period then. Um, which I suppose starts from Strangers, Strangers from a Train, uh, Strangers on a Train, should say. And then it, it carries through a whole series of movies where he started finding certain people to collaborate, certain collaborators that would work with him until the end of his golden period, which I consider to be Marnie. So during that, as I said, his most fruitful period, it taking in things like um, Dial M for Murder, Rear Window, Man I Knew Too Much, The Wrong Man, Vertigo in 58, which didn't do that well at the time, um, which is really funny because... I mean, not only myself, but it's considered by most to probably be his best movie. Which I love Dialogue. 100%. Um, great movie. Vertigo. And Vertigo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, 
fantastic movies, all of them as well. And I can I rattle on all day about how great these films are, okay? <laughs> are you saying my choice isn't as good as your choice? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but basically, to pick up this story then, is he did Vertigo on 58, which in there was considered a classic, but at the time it did okay. It didn't do brilliant, but it did okay. And, you know, his reputation has grown over the years, weirdly. Um, but the big film that he did... Um, that went out in um, early 1959 was North by Northwest, which is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. And again, I could do a whole show on, on that one movie because I absolutely love it. Um, but it was after the success of North by Northwest in early 1959 that Hitchcock was looking for another project to make. And at this point, he was working uh, for Paramount Film Studios and was working, I believe, on a project with Audrey Hepburn called No Bail for the Judge, which all fell through because she got pregnant. So they couldn't film that. And it kind of got scrapped. And there was another, another movie, which I really got to wrap my brains now. Uh, Flamingo Feathers, I think it was called, that Hitchcock was working on, which never came to light. So these films weren't happening for him during the show. And he's having a bit of a bit of downtime um, during 1959. Uh, and then his assistant, uh, Peggy Robertson, brought a book to him and mm-hmm. said, oh, I've read this book. It's really, really good. Um, and, you know, it's the kind of thing that you would like. So obviously, anyone who knows Hitchcock would know that he had this macabre sense of humour and he was very, very invested in the darkest humour and he loved a murder mystery and he loved, you know, which is completely what Hitchcock is, which I, I would point out at some point in the show as well, that Hitchcock is completely mistagged as being a horror director, which I've never, ever considered him to be a horror filmmaker at all. Um, more, you know, suspense thrillers and stuff. Anyway, so this book was brought to him um, and this is a story um, by Robert Block, which was published in 1959 so it literally just came out and she'd read it and she'd loved it and told alfred all about it um and was like you know this is really good so he went away read it loved it himself and said this is really good you know we could film this because it's such a small little movie but then the difficulty of a book based or semi-based on the ed gein case mm-hmm. the famous american serial killer which inspired Rob block to write the book um norman bates is is a is sort of a very loosely based version of Ed Gein. Um, so first things first, Hitchcock said to Peggy Robinson that she must buy up all, all the copies of this book there, right there, before anybody reads it. So if I'm going to make this movie, I don't want anyone knowing the twists and turns, which, I mean, now it's funny because everyone knows the twists and turns of Psycho, but, you know, back then it would have been completely shocking, um, which I'll talk about again a little bit later on because he, when the film finally went out, audiences weren't allowed into the movie after half an hour if you were 20 minutes late to the theater you weren't getting in they, mm-hmm. you have to see it from the beginning and Hitchcock yeah. specified this has to be done anyway so he basically they brought up the rights to all these books so nobody could read it he managed to buy the rights to the book should said just before that um for uh, nine i think nine thousand five hundred dollars yeah for the rights to the story and then said to Paramount, right, this is wonderful, right? I've got this, this story and it's about this subject. And Paramount, <laughs> we're not going to make this. They said, well, we're not making that kind of movie. You know, you're here to make North by Northwest and, and such. Um, so Hitchcock kind of hit a stumbling block. At this point also, I must add, he had already set up a TV show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents or the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, mm-hmm. um, which didn't really play that much over here. It still my, plays in the States. Yeah, regularly mm-hmm. as well, yeah. from what I hear. Um, my dad managed to show me a few bits and pieces of it but it wasn't a regular thing it was really hard to get out of here and so basically that was a series that he had running over at universal or universal had a hand in doing this low budget show that he would just come in and do a little bit of presenting on god knows how many episodes they made of it hundreds i'm sure i think there was only two was there two or three seasons no it ran from it changed his name halfway through but it ran from 1955 to 1965 so it ran for 10 years yeah um and during that period hitchcock only directed 18 episodes of it Okay. So he wasn't, you know, he was kind of doing all the the Rod Searle in Twilight Zone introductions yes. mm-hmm. to make it interesting and yep. put, put a face with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, what happens here is Paramount won't make this movie 
because of the subject matter. Hitchcock's got his heart set on making this movie now. And I think he wanted the challenge of making something that was low budget and mm. um, that you could shoot quickly. And his way of getting around this was to take the crew that he had on the TV series mm. and said, if I employ all the people that I would use on my TV series who know each other and, you know, kind of, it would just be easier if everyone knew exactly what they're doing. I can shoot this really quickly. And the only thing he asked of Paramount was that, Obviously, you know, he was still in the contract to work for them, but the only thing he asked them was that they would distribute his movie, which they agreed to. Um, although they had a kind of problem with it after, I think, when it came out and what was happening with it. And they quickly sold the rights to the movie as well to Universal. They just wanted to wash their hands of it, which is really funny, because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, it's a really successful movie. And I must point out as well that Paramount did say they would distribute it. Universal were, where was where he was going to film it with his crew from his TV show. And so... it it was the smallest budget of any Hitchcock film from that period. I think he made it for 800,000. So it's not even a million pound. And it, by the time it finally came out, it grossed over 50 million. Yeah. Which is, I think the film, film made 49 million pound, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, first things first, over to Universal. They shot this movie in late 59. So the same year the book was published. So it was quick onto this. And I think the shooting began in November of 59 and they wrapped filming in February 1960. Um, where later on in 1916 September it finally got its release, you know, for, for everyone to see. I think there was a preview screen in the June, so I remember. Um, so yeah, so late November 59 into early 1960, shooting Psycho on sets that were over at Universal. And the thing I want to mention this as well now is there was a program that played, which is owned by Universal again. It's called Thriller. Mm-hmm. which again was like a a um, Twilight Zone Alfred got presents half an hour kind of show. Yeah. Um, that was presented by Boris Karloff mm-hmm. um, in 1960. And I'm not, for anyone who's familiar with it, there was a few episodes of that, which I really, really like, mm-hmm. and they have inspired some things in pop culture, which I like, even a Pretenders song. It's, it's got lyrics stolen from an episode of Thriller with Boris Karloff. Um, but the reason I want to say that really quickly is is they actually used the house, the oh, Bates okay. house, because obviously it was on the set. Yeah. Um, so they filmed some of their, you know, creepy house episodes. That, and it's funny, because every time you watch those, you think, oh, it's the Bates house. Oh, nice. um, yeah. So yeah, something to look out for if you're it's, ever on YouTube or something. Isn't it still there in Universal? Yeah, as a, yeah, 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 as a, as a mm-hmm. touristy um, yeah. attraction there to go and see. Uh, so just, yeah, mind a bit of trivia there. So just talk about the crew that Hitchcock took into this movie then in, um, in 59 to make it at Universal. Um, so the Robert Block book, obviously he'd, he'd brought the rights to other than that, he had no other really say in this movie, other than his, his book was used. Uh, the screenplay was put together by Joseph Stefano, and this was only the second film project he ever worked on, uh, interestingly enough. And also, the fact that this movie didn't really lead into any more work really for him, except for TV work, and mm-hmm. he wrote like a ton of episodes for the Outer Limits TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also wrote the screenplay for a really, really underrated movie um, from 1969 called um, Eye of the Cat, mm-hmm. with Michael Sarazen, which is... And Gail Honeycutt, which I think is a brilliant little movie, if anyone ever sees that one. That was released by Universal as well. And that's the, the best of Joseph Stefano's screenplays after Psycho, in my opinion. Um, really worth seeing that one. Robert Block, though, whose novel this is based on, was writing episodes for the Alfred Hitchcock show. So he, he knew Alfred Hitchcock, which is Hitchcock managed to wrangle the, the rights to his book from him. Um, but he would eventually become a screenwriter himself. It's funny, you know, thinking that well, Alfred Hitchcock didn't ask him to adapt his own book. Um, and chose a second writer in Stefano. It was a, it was a second choice um, because he replaced a guy called James Kavanagh because him and Hitchcock wasn't seeing eye to eye on this screenplay. But Robert Block, whose book it is based on and was writing for the Hitchcock TV show, went off to England to write many of the films for Amicus. You know, their wonderful short story Amicus movies that me and my friends love. He wrote 
pretty much all those. And then he also wrote Straight Jacket and Night Walker for William Castle as well. So every time his name was ever on anything, it was always Robert Block, in brackets, Psycho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they would constantly use it to kind of sell his brand of macabre kind of horror. Yeah, like how Bloomhouse uses uh, The Exorcist and everything else to lift their sales and... In movie go in moviegoers, right? Like this it, yeah. movie's like The Exorcist. It's, it's, this movie's like Psycho. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, Rob, Robert Block, this movie's like Halloween. Go see it. Yeah, Rob Block could have just wrote that one book. He lived off it forever. And he kind of did live off it forever, I should say. Um, so Hitchcock's there directing. Um, they got the screenplay by Joseph Stefano. Also, should mention you know, because it interests geeks like me. <laughs> director of photography on this was John L. Russell, who, as I mentioned, was part of Hitchcock's television crew, mm-hmm. replacing Hitchcock's regular DP Robert Burke. So I absolutely love mm. Burke shot all Hitchcock's best movies and he, he had a complete eye for what Hitchcock wanted he was wonderful um, and he shot all his movies up until Marnie um, and, and unfortunately really sadly um, died in a fire which not many people know about Saul Bass as well who is the credit designer on this for the opening credits which are absolutely fantastic as Psycho mm-hmm. um, he'd worked previously on Hitchcock's Vertigo and North by Northwest so he was already he was kind of one of the people who didn't work for the TV show but was quite happy to work with Hitchcock again and he also storyboarded the famous shower scene now we, I'm going to talk a little bit about that later on because there's a lot of rumour that he directed it himself as well which has mm-hmm. totally been dismissed by Janet Lee. so yeah you got Soul Bass's wonderful credits um, John R. Russell's very very low key uh, cinema photography on this shot in black and white as well you know, cheaper way of doing things for Hitchcock at that point, uh, and absolutely appropriate for the movie. Also, much mentioned the score is by Bernard Herrmann, who was Hitchcock's regular collaborator and had been um, right since uh, The Trouble with Harry in 1955. Again, delivers this fantastic score because we need to talk about the Hitchcock Bernard Herrmann collaboration is a brilliant, but we need to talk about yeah. this one in particular. The score, it's used in everything, absolutely everything. Yeah. And the thing I must mention about that while I'm here is <sighs> apparently Hitchcock wanted no score. He said, I'm going to make this movie, he's going to have no score. And Herman said, you can't do that. No. You need something to kind of let the audience kind of know. Suspense. Give them, yeah, give them the medicine. Which is really funny, Hitchcock didn't want this. But anyway, Herman said, well, if, what if we really pare it down and just use the most basic? Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll do this with like three instruments. Yeah. We'll make it very, very low key. And uh, we'll just use strings, basically. And he said the basic element of the strings will match the basic look of your black and white photography which mm-hmm. it completely does yeah. and, I, and I've always said this and I maintain it I always say that artists are only ever as good as, as w- what they have to work with mm-hmm. and you're only as good sometimes as your collaborators you know it's always very important to have a team around you mm-hmm. that can you can bounce ideas off but it has to be a team you completely trust mm-hmm. and Hitchcock was very lucky um, in a lot of those areas that you had people that were on the same kind of wavelength as him um, so, and, and so Bernard Herrmann who you know just is who for me is one of the three greatest composers ever in film history completely got this one right by telling Hitchcock he needed this and it's funny as well I must mention this as well because, <laughs> because I, when was, I don't know when the last time you've seen Reanimator is it's been a long time okay well, Charles Band's score for that <laughs> is just this and oh, I'm, really? I'm shocked that no one sued him for it. <laughs> it it's exactly, and I always laugh when I watch Rudy Anime because I can't get psycho out of my head. It's, yeah. it's carbon copy. Oh, I'm going to have em- to watch it now. Embarrassingly so. And I love Reanimator, but it, if anything, that's the one thing that stops Reanimator being great for me is that score. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been so long since I've watched that movie. It's Herman's score. Um, <laughs> okay, so that, that's the technical side of this movie. Casting is a little bit more fun. And pretty much first choices kind of all reindeer. So Hitchcock was very lucky that he, want, he got, and he, Janet Leeds slashed her. Her, um, usual salary then to make this movie mm-hmm. she was very keen to work with Hitchcock there's also a rumour that she had one more movie to make at Paramount Studios on a contract so she was kind of had to do this movie mm-hmm. 
I'm not sure what's completely true. I'm sure she would have wanted to work with Hitchcock, and she does. Other choices for the role, though, um, was Eva Marie Saint, who'd worked on North by Northwest, Piper Laurie. Okay. It was kind of going into retirement at that point, yeah. um, and didn't come back out until 76 when she did Carrie. Mm-hmm. Um, Ope Lang, who's always a great Hollywood actress, also mm-hmm. plays the mum in Freddy's Revenge. So can I squeeze that in a bit quick? <laughs> um, and <laughs> Lana Turner was another choice for this one. Oh. Okay. Which would have been quite fantastic, yeah. in my opinion. I think Lana Turner would have had, it sounds really mean, but would have had the slutty quality. Yeah. I still think, personally, even though I really like her, and I think Janet Lee is just a little bit too pure for this part, yeah. where someone like um, Lana Turner, I just mentioned, or Gloria Graham, mm-hmm. they just specialised in four tiers, black and white, yeah. film the wild kind of sluts, sexy. trumpers, yeah. <laughs> the women who would have been perfect for the like role a, like of Like the, this the thief and the... Um, you know, somebody who... So, yeah, I couldn't see Janet Lee really being the thief of the I know, it just seems too... too I mean, because every film I've ever seen Janet Lee, and I love Janet Lee, and I've watched many of them. Mm-hmm. You know, Jet Pilot with John Wayne, The Naked Spur, um, Touch of Evil, The Vikings, loads of stuff. And she's just like, oh, it was the kind of a goody-goody. Yeah. <laughs> and I do really like her, but okay. Anyway, so she's cast here as Marion Crane. Mm-hmm. Um, the name is a change from the book, apparently, because they found there was a real... Um, I forget the name of, of the character in the book now, but they had to change it to Marion. Mm-hmm. They had to change the name because there was actually a real person that existed and they were worried oh, okay. about getting in trouble for that one. Um, so she plays, as I said, Marion. And the, basically, we just break the story down really quickly of Psycho, is that, and it is such a simple story, mm-hmm. is Marion Crane is this businessy woman who's having an affair with a character called Sam, who's played by John Gavin. Um, I should mention here, who was not the first choice for the movie, and this is the one bit of casting in this whole movie that Hitchcock hated. He said he hated working for him. Hitchcock used to refer to him as the stiff behind his back. He said, oh, Christ, we've got to deal with the stiff today. Um, and apparently he wanted um, Stuart Whitman um, or Robert Loggia, who, who turned up in Psycho 2, so that's interesting. But um, yeah, John Gavin was not his choice. Really didn't want him. But so yes. was he like the tall and well, he, dark and handsome yeah. kind of man? And he, uh, Yeah, and he was sort of I think he just finished filming Spartacus as well at that point, so okay. he very much had the matinee kind of look. And, yeah. <laughs> and Hitchcock can say he's a little stiff in this. I don't think he's that bad. He does what he has to do. I kind of disagree with Hitchcock. There must be something personal. Um, so oh, he's yeah, just jealous. Probably, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, that's a whole other subject. Hitchcock and his women. That, yeah. that is a whole, oh, a whole other subject. Oh, you like the blondes, right? He, he certainly did. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, Sam and Marion, the characters in this book, are having an affair, and they want to run away together, but of course they've got no money, so Marion has this idea of ripping off the business that she works for by taking 40 grand, mm. uh, which is the MacGuffin of Psycho, because it's not even important. By When she get 45 minutes through this movie, mm-hmm. we forget that the 40 grand even existed. Yeah. It's just a, it's the, it's what famously Hitchcock calls the MacGuffin. It's just a function to move the story forward and to keep you interested until he can give you what he wants to give you. Yeah. Um, so yes, they, they steal the money. What happened to the 40 grand? Not you never find it. out. Yeah, I was going to say it, it was It probably in goes the... down with the car. Yeah. I don't know. But, I, um... thought, I thought she put it under the night table or something. Like she hid it somewhere in a bath towel, if I remember correctly. And, Whoa. Um, and put it and stuffed it somewhere in the hotel room, but... You would think Norman would grab it or something. I don't think Norman knows what's going on. Like want, he was just perving. <laughs> but talking of Norman for a second, because I want to continue with the cast just for a second. <laughs> yeah, probably. Vera Miles, I need to mention here, very, this is quite important actually. She plays uh, Marion's sister, who kind of breaks mm-hmm. the case at the end and sort and saves the yeah, day. Yeah, her sister's missing and she's like, to where a, the hell is to she? To a degree, yeah. Now, Vera Miles was the original choice for Vertigo. Okay. And 
it's interesting though for me to think back here that would have worked out. And I've got nothing against Vera Miles. She'd worked with Hitchcock previously on The Wrong Man with um, Emery Fonda. And, and, and I've always liked her. She's in the man who shot Liberty Valance as well. But she was going to be cast in the main lead in Vertigo. And then she fell pregnant and couldn't do it. Hitchcock felt terrible because he was very friendly. But when he said, well, I will put you in one of my movies. I'll find something else for you to do. And sadly, it's a very secondary part in Psycho that she gets to play. And she's almost designed quite frumpily in this as well. To mm-hmm. not take anything away from Janet Lee, Which is a kind of weird thinking that Vera Miles had to play a secondary character when she could have played you know, um, the lead in Virgo, which obviously went famously to Kim Novak. Uh, Martin Balsam's also in this, who I absolutely love, is Arbogast, the cop who's investigating the case. He's mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic in this. One of my favourite actors anyway, Four Stop, 12 Angry Men, Cape Fear, tons of stuff. Love him. So it's a it's a great little cast. Um, obviously Hitchcock has his usual cameo in this one. If you know, do you remember spotting Hitchcock in this one? It's like at the beginning. Um, I can't, was he in the scene when they're in town? She sees him through the, like a window. Oh, at the window at the um when she's at the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's got like I a remember kind that. of Stetson hat yeah. on, hasn't he? Kind mm-hmm. of. <laughs> um, and of Patricia course. Patricia Hitchcock has also got a part in it. His, his daughter who had a few minor parts in, the, in the, probably two or three of his movies. I should mention that one. I mean, I'm not going to give anything away because people know. Oh God, I hope to God you know the story of Psycho already. But there, I have to mention this because because I'll thing is I'm going to talk about certain things and I'm going to totally forget what we're talking about. Mm. So I don't want to mention that Martin Balsam plays Harbagast, the policeman in this. Who has that wonderful death sequence in the house. I mean, there's only two I love two killings in this whole That's movie. Like the best cinematography like ever. Yeah, she never like, loved. Yeah, completely designed and arranged by yeah. Hitchcock. <laughs> there is a reference to it. It's really funny because Martin Balsam, like I said, is fantastic in a million things, but he turns up in a not so good movie called Two Evil Eyes, mm-hmm. which is um, it was just two Edgar Allan Poe stories like going to shove together. And George Romero does the one, and um, Dario Argento does the other. And then Martin Balsam's in the Dario Argento one, um, which is based on the Black Cat. <laughs> and there's a scene in that, and it's fleeting. And if you know what you're looking for, it's quite funny. Mm-hmm. The Martin Balsam almost, almost like stumbles on the steps, and they shoot it in exactly the same way because it's the same actor, but yeah. 30 years later. It's a good little in joke for anyone who's geeky enough like myself to spot that kind of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic. <laughs> Trust me, it's worth looking for. Also, he joked about when they were making this movie that he was going to get three people to play Mrs. Bates because he couldn't decide who he wanted to play Norman's man. Yeah, I remember seeing like photos of somebody else dressed as Norman's mom in like the back, like stills and stuff of movies, like back um, which is, which behind cool. the scenes. I stuff. know, but as soon as I say that, it's almost like, well, there is no Norman's man, so why is he casting three people as Norman's man? Norman's man doesn't exist in Psycho. But that's, right. the, but that's the joke of it. He was keeping everyone on their toes. Oh, you mean as... Wasn't there somebody dressed as Anthony Perkins, like, who was supposed to be... You know how he dresses up in his mother's clothing oh, uh, and there, stuff. And po- there was another guy dressed in the clothing? There's a point which I'll get to okay. eventually. That's for the sheriff okay. scene. Okay. Okay. Well, I will mention it any second there. I will <laughs> mention it. Um, but yeah, talks of, of, of people to play Mrs. Bates and he was non-existent in the movie for anyone who She's knows. a skeleton. Um, Judith She's Anderson was was... But Judith Anderson, who, who plays, um, do you remember Mrs. Uh, De Winters in Rebecca, the housemaid? No. You don't remember Rebecca? Oh, she's fantastic in it anyway. Hitchcock really wanted to fit her in somewhere mm-hmm. to do something. Very loyal to old cast members and stuff. They're fantastic. Now, I mentioned shots in this movie, so I've got to mention them, right? I mentioned the, the, my favourite one with Martin Balsam on the stairs, which you pointed out, is fantastically shot. Um, which is also kind of slightly referenced in that horrible remake of Willard, which I hated, by the way, with Crispin okay. Glover. Mm-hmm. Awful. Um, but the Bates house in that, it, the house that he lives in that is almost like modelled on the whole of the Bates house. And there is a shot, again, in that one that reminds me of this. Interesting, I've got to point this one out, is this for, for film buff fans, horror fans? Um, at the end, when they uncover 
Mrs. Bates as a skeleton in the in the cellar of the house. Mm. I don't know if you remember, but it, it, kind of Norman comes in dressed up, and it's the kind of they bash the light bulb, and then the light bulb swings, and you get this kind of yeah. intermittent light that comes over. And um, that shot is stolen from Albert Lewin's uh, picture of Dorian Gray from okay. 1945, which I absolutely adore. And the shot is used in Psycho, and then is referenced in many horror films. If, <laughs> if there's a chance to knock the light bulb and make it swing, yeah. it's in nearly every horror film. Most famously, probably in Friday the Thirteenth, when she gets killed in the the bathroom stall with the axe in the face mm-hmm. and the, the swinging light bulb. I just want to point out that it's been used a million times and most people go, oh yeah, yeah, it's Hitchcock shot from Psycho. As much as I like to say it was, it isn't. Uh, he stole that one himself, which means that even the best can take from elsewhere. It's just, um, it's just borrowing. <laughs> yeah, that's what Tarantino told us. Um, <laughs> talking of Anthony Perkins as well, because I want to touch on him, because what we need to really kind of give him oh, a, a good sort of yeah, he's you know, excellent. We need to say good things about him because he is fantastic in this. Yes. Um, and for me personally, as much as I love Hitchcock, I think Perkins is the thing that makes this whole thing work. Yeah. But he's so good in it. And famously, he, I mean, it was kind of a part that killed his career to mm-hmm. a degree. Um, he was playing kind of fruffy, romantic leads before this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, was in the tour story with Jane Fonda. Was fantastic in a baseball movie called Fear Strikes Out. And was also very good in Anthony Mann's The Tin Star, which is a Western. So he was very versatile going into this movie, doing other things. And he was also working on Broadway as well, mm-hmm. doing plays and stuff. But he took the part of this, um, part of Norman Bates, which he famously said in quotes, consider Norman Bates to be the Hamlet of horror. <laughs> <laughs> he said it was just a, as much as it kind of semi-killed his career because he played it so bloody well. Yeah. It was also, um, he, he claimed to be the best part he ever had. And he really enjoyed playing Norman. It's yeah. why he turned up for all the sequels and, and various things. And at the time of his death, um, sadly in 1992, he was preparing another sequel. I mean, really? God knows what that would have been. Yeah. <laughs> but there was another sequel on the go. Um, also want to point out that he was one of the only people on the set of this movie as well that actually chose his own wardrobe. Everyone else was kind of put into costumes by Hitchcock. <laughs> he, he specified that he wanted to choose his own wardrobe, which, in, if you remember, involves a very long black turtleneck, mm-hmm. which he famously wore because he said, I hate my neck, it's too long, so I want to cover it up. <laughs> so there's a bit of trivia for you. As I said, everyone else was kind of designed to look and act a certain way, particularly Janet Leigh. Um, again, a bit of trivia, most people know it. Um, just the fact that Hitchcock said that he wanted to represent the good and bad side of, of Janet Lee's Marion Crane character. So at the beginning, when she's having that passionate, you know, little encounter in the afternoon, which is a fantastic opening sequence, probably one of my favourite opening sequences in, in of any film, mm-hmm. where the camera kind of drifts in through a window where we see her having this private moment, you know, kind of an affair that, you know, is kind of hiding from the world, but, you know, Hitchcock takes you on this wonderful shot through the window and we see her lying on the bed in famously a white brassiere, which mm-hmm. Hitchcock's put her in to say he wants her to be pure and passionate. And then he says, when she's completed the robbery, we see her getting undressed for her shower, she's now in black because mm-hmm. she's being naughty and, and evil. So everything's kind of, Hitchcock is set it up to be a certain way, you know, there's every detail as it means something to him, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Um, and so basically, yeah, the story then goes that she steals the money from her job, she hits the road, and then there's this storm, and then she kind of finds herself stranded and lost there in the middle of nowhere, and the first place she finds to stay is this very sinister-looking motel on the side of the road, which we now know as the Bates Motel, which is something like, I, I can't remember, 14 cabins or something, and mm-hmm. there's obviously the house of the owner on the hill behind it, which is run by this young guy called Norman Bates, who played, as I mentioned, brilliantly by Anthony Perkins, who lives alone with his mother or so we think um and marion crane comes she decides she's going to spend the night and sort it all out in the morning 
has this one big discussion with the young Norman who runs the motel um, and then decides to retire for the evening back to her room where she will take the shower and wash away her sins from this robbery is what Hitchcock has designed and then is famously I mean we're giving nothing away is famously murdered mm-hmm. um, in this incredible shower sequence which I suppose Hitchcock is I mean I think that's the one scene that most people will probably forever remember this movie for and and to have it like done at the beginning of a film have a main character killed off killed off was a big thing back then yeah i'm gonna massively touch on on that very quickly the house the bates motel um the actual house um norman's house then is is designed and built at universal she said it's still there now as a tourist attraction but it's actually inspired by an american painter called edward hopper who who did those wonderful paintings of like diners at night and stuff that you all see of maryland and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that kind of Mm -hmm. night lit diner things um it was based on one of his paintings called house by the railroad Mm -hmm. so they just it's loosely designed idea of what the bates house looks like is from that yeah just, once again this is all true I just drop bits of trivia in just to, <laughs> just to make it for my boring spiel here we will talk about the sheriff scene there real quickly um, because it's probably you know because it's the centrepiece of the movie you're absolutely right though on the importance of Kinloff his main character 45 minutes into the movie as a fan I'll speak just briefly here as a fan the first 45 minutes of Psycho is the best 45 minutes of Psycho mm-hmm. it's probably one of the best 45 minutes of any film and then by me saying that, you know, it's got people probably going to think, well, you must love it then. It's, if you just said that, it must be one of your favorite films all the time. That's my point. It's the first 45 minutes is so good. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, fall off towards the end then? I, I do, to the point where there is a famous discussion that takes place. With the cop. With Dr. The... Richmond, yeah, where he explains the whole plot okay. of the movie. Yeah. And it's the saggiest, like, 12 minutes of cinema I've ever seen in my life. I think, I when really... they're down the basement talking. We, well, we've uncovered Norman. Yeah. And then it's all over. We kind of arrest him, take him away. And then everything is explained to Vera Miles and John Gavin when they're at the police station. And we have this 12-minute mm-hmm. sequence, which is just this boring monologue, I have to admit, of this guy just telling you the whole film. And you think, I don't really need this. I mean, a 1960s audience. Mm-hmm. It seems it seems unfair to say this, but almost like what well, a 1960s audience might have needed it. I really don't need it. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? And I think it just slowly sags the movie down there. Mm-hmm. And that's my real reason why I wouldn't put Psycho among my 10 favourite Hitchcock movies. Just, there's just certain elements towards the end that it kind of drops off for me, right? Mm-hmm. As much as I absolutely adore the first 45, though, which I think is stunning. And like you said, to kill off your main character halfway through. And there was another movie released the same year as Psycho, which I'm sure if anyone, if, if Jeff Alderman has listened to this, he'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've had a discussion with him about it, which is a guy that I'm friends with who's, who's part of this group that we're involved in, uh, 2020 Vision. There's the plug. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we've had this discussion. There was a movie called Horror Hotel. I think it's what you titled it in America, but it's not. I think it's City of the Dead in this country, which is like the first movie ever released by Amicus with Christopher Lee and stuff. And there's a wonderful sequence halfway through them. And it's literally 40 minutes into it where mm-hmm. we kill the main character off. And it's like, wow, we've been following this character for 40 minutes and we've just kind of killed him off. So it came out the same year as Psycho. So there's this massive debate on, did anyone see anyone else's film first? The book came out in 1959. I don't know. It's just one of the things that's up in the air and we would never get to the bottom of. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but it, a fantastic movie for anyone who's curious about checking out a very low-budget black-and-white gem, also from the same year as 1960. And also has a similar ending to this one as well, when they uncover Miss Bates. But I'll let you go and find that movie to work that out for yourself. <laughs> to bring it back to the Sherry scene, though, um, basically, Sherry scene was... I think it took like six days to film. They started filming it on the 18th of December of 1959 and finished the day before Christmas Eve which is really funny. Um, oh. So they were spending those period trying to shoot this this elaborate shower sequence, which was storyboarded by the brilliant... <laughs> and I just see my co-host's face <laughs> like, oh yeah, I've got to squeeze that in. So I'm going to remind... Someone please remind me at some point to mention Christmas later. Um, 
so yeah, Sol Basu um, storyboarded this whole shower sequence and has also gone on to claim that he directed it himself, which Janet Lee was actually in the scene as said, no, you didn't, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he certainly did design it. It was delayed twice, this sequence, because uh, number one, Janet Lee had a really, really bad head cold and they were going to stick her in cold water to film the scene. <laughs> and the time after, she was on a period. <laughs> so it was really inappropriate to shoot. So it was delayed twice yeah, uh, they in filming. They couldn't skip the blood part. They would already have it. <laughs> I know, but, but, but then that would mean that Hitchcock would be left to eat all that chocolate sauce, um, which is what they used <laughs> because it looked darker. Yeah, but they could have had real. They could have had the real stuff. But it didn't look good. Apparently, it didn't look as good on lens. So they they used chocolate sauce because it it was darker and it could really see it. Really. A True fact. Oh. The sounds for the, the knife cutting into Janet Lee was obviously the sounds of a, someone stabbing a, a Turkish melon. What the <laughs> hell is a Turkish melon? Is it just a melon from Turkey? What, what, yeah. what, like, what's the difference? I don't know. Maybe it's a different flesh. Um, yeah, so <laughs> stabbing mm-hmm. Turkish melons, using chocolate sauce for the blood. Uh, Janet Lee waiting for the period to end so they could get on with filming the sequence. Um, and when they finally did get to film it, um, as you pointed out earlier on, Anthony Brokers mm-hmm. was not available. He was filming a play. So mm-hmm. he wasn't there to shoot the, the famous sheriff scene. That is not Anthony Brokers. I just pointed out as another actor mm-hmm. dressed as uh, Norman, dressed as his mum. <laughs> yep. that, that makes sense? Yeah. Um, so Janet Lee says it's all busted director that Hitchcock did. Now, the final shot of the shower sequences when she pours down the curtain and collapses to the floor mm-hmm. and we see the blood swirling off down the plug and then he, there's this wonderful close-up of Janet Lee's eye Aye. and it kind of pulls mm-hmm. back and this is one of the the couple of errors that are in this movie because her eyeball has um, dilated mm-hmm. and not contracted when you dilate it goes the other way yeah. so I think it goes really small in this one if I remember from Psycho okay, but it yeah. should have gone really big because that's yeah. what happens at death mm-hmm. um, also Alma Raval who was Hitchcock's wife through through his whole life and an amazing editor and also very important just as important as Hitchcock and I think half the time if she wasn't around Hitchcock wouldn't have got anything done mm-hmm. that way now she watched this sequence religiously over and over making sure it looked perfect that we didn't see any nudity mm-hmm. which we certainly didn't because Janet Lee was wearing mole skin patches covering the nips okay uh, <laughs> so this sequence was watched a number of times to make sure we didn't see nudity to make sure we didn't see a knife look like it was really entering the body which because the sequence is so brilliantly shot we didn't mm-hmm. and you can slow it right down it's quite funny watching it when you watch it purely for that 30 seconds it looks like you know this knife's going in there Janet Lee, she's getting killed it's brutal and it's a fantastic sequence one of the great sequences of cinema but it's just sheer camera angles and mm-hmm. and again wonderfully storyboarded um but alma ravel watched the sequence many times over and to the point <laughs> where she pointed out to hitchcock that you're gonna have to freeze frame her on the floor lying there with the eyeball because she blinks mm-hmm. she noticed the blink yeah. And Hitchcock, it, they watched it like three or four times before she, he could see this blink. It was minimal. Yeah. But Alma, well, Alma could see he it. He was probably like, blinking nah, nah, nah. the same time she was blinking <laughs> and didn't see it. I don't know. It just always makes me laugh thinking that Alma's like, no, no, she blinks. Um, yeah. But just an, an incredible, incredible scene, which it also makes me want to say something else about the sheriff scene, which I have to come back to because I'm there was something else that just totally skipped my mind okay. um, about that sequence. As fantastic as it is. I'm talking about just a couple of other scenes for the movie, which I also really adore. Um, have you? I mean, I'll ask you actually. Have you, have you got a particular favorite scene from Psycho? The death scene was really good of the detective when he fell down the stairs. Was he the detective? Arbogast played by yeah, yeah. Martin Powell. Sam was mm-hmm. fantastic. I think that 
even though the sheriff scene's iconic and it's brilliantly shot, I yeah. still think Balsam's death on the stairs is even more shocking to me because it almost comes from nowhere. Yeah. We got this above shot. Yeah. He wanders up onto the landing, as we call it in this, the top of the stairs. And, and then it, he just comes in from this room out of nowhere. Yeah. Just, just knocks him down the stairs. And, and the I'm scene just... kind of feels like one of those roller coaster rides that they stimulate, like in. Uh, at places where you're going down a roller coaster, so you're kind of falling with him when he falls backwards. Yeah, so Do you know what I mean? It's a brilliantly shot sequence. Yeah, so I thought that was always clever. Um, and probably the shower scene was good. But yeah, those two scenes. But I love Norman. Two death His, scenes, though. That's it. Just two death scenes. Yeah, I love Norman's acting in it. Yeah, so Perkins doing the whole mm. sequence where he makes her a sandwich and they're sat at the back amongst yeah. his many stuffed animals, which... Taxidermist, like yeah. obsession. I hope I have a shares with Norman, <laughs> which is really worrying for me. Any anybody with who's a taxidermist just has to be a little bit off. You know, they all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> I guess so. To yeah. quote Norman, yes. Mm-hmm. You, uh, but that, thanks for doing that because you reminded me of what I wanted to mention. It's actually a funny Atlantic story to go with the shower sequence, of, which is now iconically what we remember Psycho. When the film was released, basically there was a movie made in 1954 called La Double uh, La um, mm-hmm. which was shot by um, Henri-Georges Clouseau, French director. It's a fantastic movie. It was one of my favourite movies in the 1950s. French movie based on a book by a couple of a couple of French guys who also wrote the book, which was then used for uh, that material for Vertigo. Um, so basically, anyone who hasn't seen the Debbie there is a famous death sequence in a bath, mm-hmm. in the bath, where the body rises back from the bath and it's ripped off for the end of Fatal Attraction, which is horrible, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, so yeah, there's a famous sequence in a bath in that, a famous death sequence, or, or a recovery of a corpse, or a scary sequence in a bath. Which and I'm of course... Scared. Yeah, and so and, and Hitchcock gives us one here. This is in the shower, mm-hmm. okay? Now, someone <laughs> someone sent a letter to Alfred Hitchcock and said, thank you very much. Because of you and that other movie, my daughter refuses now to have a bath <laughs> or a shower. What do you suggest I do? And Hitchcock famously said, I don't know, send her to the dry cleaners. <laughs> Which is classic Hitch in his sense of humour. Um, yeah. but, but, I mean, a scene I did want to mention to you, though, a scene that I really like, and it's a very minor scene because I, when we talked about the Exorcist in the past, this is most of my favourite scenes in that had nothing to do with green spear or crucifixes. It's the subtler little sequences. And there is a moment in Psycho, which is, I would probably say it's my favourite scene in the movie, yet no one really mentions it, is when Norman goes to sink the car in the swamp at night. Mm-hmm. He clears up the whole mess of Marion Crane in the cabin and puts everything to right and then he has to just get rid of the car so he takes the car out to the swamp and he pushes it in and then Hitchcock then gives us sort of three minutes to stand with Norman and watch this car sink in the swamp mm-hmm. and he's almost getting you and it works it's very manipulative which Hitchcock is the best director ever at doing this manipulating his audience and this scene manipulates you to almost sympathise with Norman you want the car to sink mm-hmm. and there's that fleeting moment where it goes down 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 and then it holds and then he's like oh you know, shit, I'm going to have to go in and push it in. It's not going down. And you can see him like, oh my God, please just sink mm-hmm. so I can go home and this is over. And <laughs> it holds for like 10 seconds and then it can it carries on sinking. But for that 10 seconds, you want it to sink. And then when you think about it after, you think, Christ, I actually was with Norman. I wanted the car to disappear. I want the evidence to be <laughs> yeah. gone. Do you know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. and that sequence for me is my favourite in in Psycho. And it's certainly better than that 12 minutes of explaining that Dr. Richmond does at the end where he's got to tell us the whole story and why it will happen. And I, I'm going to mention this actually really, really quickly because we will talk about the films that Hitchcock's Psycho inspired. One of them, most famously, uh, being Dressed to Kill by Brian De Palma, which I absolutely adore. As a piece of cinema, mm-hmm. 
because Hitchcock's so um, the Palmer is so good at putting pure cinema together and putting his own twist on it, his own black humor on it, and bending the story. I love Dress to Kill, but if you look at Dress to Kill in any other way, it's just a blatant psycho ripoff. The whole movie, he's just moved a few minor details here and there. Um, but that doesn't offend me because I absolutely love it, so I'm going to defend it anyway. But sadly, so it's that much of a, a, a psycho ripoff, which. De Palma is the biggest Hitchcock fan in the world, so it's obvious why he's done it. Um, that he actually he actually has his little twelve minute explanation sequence in Dress to Kill as well. <laughs> and mm. I'm thinking, well, that didn't even work in Hitchcock's version. Why are you doing it? Yeah, we have twelve minutes to work out why everything happened the way it did. Yeah. And you're thinking, why would a film in 1980, 20 years later, need that sequence in there? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was a drag in Psycho. We don't need it here either. And the thing that redeems the end of Psycho is. Once they've finished telling us everything that we already know, you get that wonderful tracking shot that takes us down to Norman, sat yeah. in the in the in room the in the straitjacket, mm-hmm. yeah, or, yeah, yeah, the, in the and, holding room, and the little fly that mm-hmm. lands on him, and then yeah. you get this kind of oh, you know, it's it's worrying that he's not better in any way. Yeah, I um, know because he's very much uh, he comes across a little naive or childlike in a way because he still has his mother in his head you know what I mean like that's yeah just... and I love I love it none of that is explained either like the back it's almost like we don't need all that backstory Hitchcock mm-hmm. just feeds us enough to use our own kind of what what kind of upbringing and growing up that he had because I'm just going to talk briefly and, you, and this is where you can fill in some gaps for me mm-hmm. um Basically, because obviously there, there was a show years later, which you might be able to tell me some more about, so I didn't see it, I have to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyway, the film came out in 1960, it made millions, Paramount still didn't want nothing to do with it, Universal Pit did the rights. It was nominated at the Oscars, so it was acknowledged that year, um, for Best Director, which Hitchcock didn't win, which Hitchcock never won for his whole career, which is really so. When we talk about the Oscars, mm-hmm. right? Hitchcock never won an Oscar. Yeah. Orson Welles never won an Oscar. Stanley mm-hmm. Kubrick never won an Oscar. So... Basically, what I'm saying is, fuck the Oscars. Yeah, no, it's um, just the pompous, <laughs> rich people that whoever... I don't know, critics are really it's weird It's a lot of me. backslapping. It's just everybody's that. personal opinion, and who's to say theirs is better than anybody else's? So, I, I don't like critics too much. The film was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress for mm-hmm. Janet Lee's wonderful, like we, as we pointed out many times, the you know, first 45 minutes of the movie is fantastic. Best Cinema Photography, which is brilliantly crisp black and white, and like we said, endlessly kind of looked at and, and kind of admired today. Best Art Direction as well, which mm-hmm. for the Bates Motel and the interiors of that place, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. AF, um, the American Film Institute put it among the greatest movies ever made in 1998. It came in at 18. It's the, one of the greatest movies ever made. And the National um, Library Film Registry of, kind of, of Congress then is, is put the movie as is something that will last forever. It's, it's an important piece of art and it's very looked after and, and has gone on to be the most famous film that Hitchcock ever directed and the one that most people will instantly say the moment you mention Hitchcock. The tra- did you ever see the trailer for it? <laughs> it's got one of the no. weirdest trailers mm-hmm. ever. Find it online, right? Mm-hmm. It is basically a 10 minute, 10 minute trailer of Hitchcock walking around the Bates Motel, just taking you around, t- taking you on a tour okay. of the of the rooms. Yeah. Oh, something's going to happen in here, and oh, something happens up on the hill, and have a look in here, and then the, la- <laughs> the last bit of the trailer is brilliant because he goes, "Oh, the bathroom," and he leaves it there, and it's like, "Oh, you know, it's just the most random trailer." Do you ever. think he loved himself to be on camera because he's oh, yeah, very he hammy? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is he a Quentin of of I, the early days, a Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> I'd like to think he was better than that. Um, <laughs> but it, it does have the weirdest trailer. Um, there was also a tagline for the poster, I remember saying something like, don't give away the ending, because we only have one. Um, <laughs> which, is, which is brilliant. But yeah, I fantastically want to talk to you now, though, um, a little bit about the sequels. And okay. A little bit about the TV show, which I never saw. And just a little bit 
Well, can we talk about first how people want to classify this movie as oh, yeah, a yeah. Christmas film? Yeah. Because some people say the scene when when he films it in town, obviously he probably right after they shoot him. Is it a bunch like I said? Of people? It started filming in November of fifty nine. Yeah, I think she's leaving. Is she is she the one leaving in a car or something? And she's yeah, in yeah, town Marion's driving it. Yeah, and there's Christmas decorations. The story and the mm-hmm. book are based in the summer. Okay, yeah, but unfortunately, we caught De- it's December because, because it was filmed in November. Mm-hmm. And we, there was Christmas decorations in town, but so Hitchcock that's the had to put the date December 11th on the card to, to cover himself. To cover because if not, then it, what if you put it in the summer? You'd be like, oh shit! There's like Christmas decorations everywhere. <laughs> so, but just that one little scene, people want to classify this as a Christmas movie. Which is something that you had the biggest argument ever I did. about, and it went on and on. Yeah, people and can on. fuck off because it's not. It's not a Christmas movie. <laughs> this was some film group that was pointing out obscure Christmas movies and somebody mentioned that Psycho was a Christmas movie Hope rightfully corrected them and the whole basically the shit hit the fan didn't it yeah I got kicked out and everything and I, <laughs> I didn't say it rudely it's, I said it very polite, but yeah. uh, but now I, I'll say it rudely. Everybody can fuck off if they think it's one, <laughs> because it's not a Christmas movie. Norman didn't have Christmas decorations. There's no Christmas music. There's nothing. There's nothing Christmas about this movie. There Hitchcock, is nothing. Hitchcock. There's no snow. There's nothing. I know. Not, even though California doesn't really get snow, there is nothing. Can I just say, if anyone thinks that Psycho was a Christmas movie, can you stop listening now? <laughs> I'm joking, by the way. Audience, come back, come back. Um, but anyways, that one is not a Christmas movie to me. There you go. Do you feel better now? I guess, yeah. Yeah, I don't for know. now. Yeah. yeah. That means you're not going to burn my tea later then? No. No, okay. Let's talk a little bit about... <laughs> for Americans, that's dinner. Oh, right. The- yeah, we don't know that stuff. Oh, right, okay. See, every time you say tea, when everybody says, oh, the president's coming to have tea with the queen, I'm thinking you guys are having a cup of tea. Oh, right. No, no, tea's the last big meal of the no, day. No, it's yeah. dinner. No. Last big meal of the day, tea. Dinner. Summer love supper. No, dinner. But anyways... We you do realize that all this is tea. making you sound like the psycho. Like, <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and my American friends will know this. What, the tea is the last meal of the day? Uh, what? Okay. Um, let's get back to the sequels <laughs> for a second. Um, Number two, Meg Psycho Tilly. Two. That's all I have to say. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go into great detail about <laughs> this because I'm Tanya now. I've, I feel we could do a whole show on, on that one movie. Yeah, maybe we'll come back and do it. But yes, Psycho 2 directed, uh, made, made into a movie in 1983. In the 80s, yeah. 83. So a we're 23 20, years later mm-hmm. after this one, which is one of the biggest delays between films ever in the history of cinema yeah. um, for a sequel, I should yeah. say. Um, it's directed by Richard Franklin. It was another, like Brian De Palma, another massive Hitchcock fan. Perfect guy to do this. Uh, written by Tom Holland as well, as I pointed out in a previous episode we did of Fright Night when I talked, to, I briefly touched on this movie. And and I have to say, it's one of the, for me personally, it's one of the greatest sequels mm. to any especially big Hollywood movie that everyone knows. Yeah. Um, I think they did a fantastic job. Um, in Halloween? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you liked Halloween too. Oh, Halloween 2. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were on about sequel. that horrid monster that came out oh, in 2018. Oh, no. Halloween 2. Yeah, Halloween 2 is a real sequel. The reason I picked this one is just because it came out, like you said, 23 years later. Mm. But it does fit the story because Norman gets released from an institute 23 years later. Yeah. So, and you've got this yeah. older Anthony Perkins and it kind of fits. Yeah. And it's a wonderful movie because it plays with the idea of, is Norman cured? Mm-hmm. 
And it's all this horrific stuff that's going on inside Norman's head. Mm-hmm. Or is Norman back to his old ways? And it's just a fantastic movie. Now, was Hitchcock alive at this point? No. no okay, I thought he died H- Hitchcock already. died in 1980. Oh, okay. Um, oh, same so year I was born. Oh. Yeah. Are you reincarnating? I think so, because say? we share the same birthday. Oh, and we've Lord. both got Yeah, yeah. And we've both got a massive interest in food and American blonde women. Um, <laughs> and you're English. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm scared. I need to do, like, a reincarnation, like, life thing. Like I've even got his belly in airline. <laughs> and the laugh suggests that was spot on. Um, Not the hairline. Oh, At least just the belly. Your hair. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that makes me feel really better. Um, Psycho 3 comes out in 1986. Got to mention that there was, a, there was a third part as well, which, again, is a guilty pleasure for me. Mm. And my sister loves it. We, we, we have discussions about why this one doesn't... You know, it's not as good as Psycho, it's not as good as Psycho 2, but it's still really fun and interesting. And Anthony Perkins actually directed that one himself. Mm-hmm. Then there was a TV movie in 1991 directed by TV horror specialist Mick Garris, which was a prequel to kind of tell Oh, that us. one that we watched recently with... Um, I'm going to get there. Col- <laughs> Bud Court. Bud. Cult legend Bud Court. Bud. Bud, Bud oh, Court. that was horrible, wasn't it? Terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I have to say is the first time I'd ever seen it. We watched it recently because I think yeah. oh, it's one of these Bates things I've never watched. Actually, yeah. the, the, although they, it was filmed at Universal as a TV pilot in yeah. 1987 to, to turn into a show which featured Bud Court picking up the Bates Motel, bringing it back to life and then having these little sinister goings on with different people that would turn up there every week for every episode yeah but the pilot was filmed and we seen that's what we watched and but it didn't nobody ran with the pilot nobody was interested in it and that was the end of that so to this day there is a tv movie called bates motel from 1987 with bud court which we recently watched which as hope rightly points out was terrible it's on youtube yeah it never became a series no but what did become a series is a show called the bates motel yeah in when the early two phases and you're gonna have to pick it up for me because i I have to admit for some reason i just didn't I didn't watch it and I didn't want to watch it. Well, did they tell do... Tell me why I might be wrong. Okay, hang on one second. Because didn't they do another TV movie on Psycho? Or were yeah, they going to do... I was telling you before you told me that Bug Court was in the one that we watched recently. Because in... There was a Mick Garris prequel. Okay. For TV in 91. Again, Anthony Perkins rings up a, a, a radio broadcaster yes. and relates the story of how he grew up where Emery Thomas plays him as a young boy and where the actress who plays Juliet in Romeo and Juliet, the famous one, Olivia... I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> well, as I was saying... She plays the mom. Okay, well, as I was saying, Jesus. there's an episode of Knight Rider, a oh, Halloween dear. episode of Knight Rider, and there it, it kind of um, goes off this guy who played Norman Bates. I believe it was in that one that you're talking about. And he looks like Norman Bates, and he played Norman in something. And he was actually acting as Norman Bates in the movie. I'm sorry, in the TV show, Knight Rider, if you remember correctly and there was a reference of halloween 3 in that thanks somebody had a mask on at the party so you just wanted to squeeze in the halloween 3 reference yeah yeah and 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 the psycho reference can i just mention that to knight rider season 5 halloween there you go okay let me just point out that there was Mm. a tv movie with olivia hussey who played juliet in the original (laughs) because that was really pissing me off forget hussey she was a hussey no she's great i like i like (laughs) olivia as well she's she's always fun um yeah okay so the base hotel no no Wonderful stuff. Check it out. <laughs> 2000 something something. It was late 2000. 2007? Did it come on? The TV show. Bates Motel. I'm not, I just didn't watch it. Yeah. You know, and it had, what's his name from uh, the Willy Wonka, the remake of Willy Wonka. 
Highmore. Oh yeah, Freddie Highmore. Yeah, yeah. He plays Norman, doesn't he? Yeah. As much as I know, about as a it. younger, a younger Norman. This is like a prequel, and uh, Vera. Farm and from our yep yeah yep, from all the Bloomhouse uh, Conjuring or, movies or all that type of stuff yeah she plays Lorraine Lauren, uh, Warren in all those movies but you know I I liked the first few seasons first couple seasons were okay um it kind of fell off and because the, then they brought in like fucking Rihanna and shit like uh, seriously in an episode it's like which it was like pointless I didn't know why she was even in it how many series did that run for five I think how much story is there to tell that's what I mean it just by four and five, it just got shit. So the first three seasons were pretty good. You know, it was just more of his backstory of uh, how he kind of went a little crazy and Does it of ag- him killing his mother and stuff. Okay. Does it acknowledge the the aforementioned TV movie that I mentioned with Mick Harris directed with Olivia Hussey? Did it mention that though? Did it or did it just like let's forget that and do our own thing? He did hook up with the. He tried hooking up with a girl. You know, like he started. St- seen a girl but you know he still had his mother issues so that kind of like fell off you know a little bit so yeah i don't know i don't know it was okay it's been so long since i've watched it is it worth investigating (sighs) yeah i mean i guess like you said the first couple scenes but i don't know i didn't i didn't care for it i wasn't overly enthusiastic about it but i would watch it well the last thing we got to talk about before we finish and i'm going to squeeze this in just before we finish Mm -hmm is, as you mentioned, right at the top of the show, that awful 1998 Gus Van Sant, absolutely pointless, piece of shit remake. Oh, okay. From 98, where, in the Marion Crane role, we had Anne Hesch, is that? Oh. Gus Van Sant did that? I'm, I'm afraid thinking? so. Oh, Lord. What was he thinking? I don't know. This is his career suicide period. Vince Vaughn. Pl- <laughs> Vince Vaughn is Norman. Norman. Are you serious? And it was a shot for shot remake as well. Basically meaning they used the same storyboards yeah. as Hitchcock's movie. Yeah. So there was nothing original in this movie except for new faces in the roles. Mm. It's now shot in colour, mm. which really is not nice. And the fact that we get to see Norman Bates masturbate because we couldn't show that in the 1960 <laughs> version. Do you want to see Vince Vaughn no. shuffling his little member? No. No. I don't no. want to see him playing the swingers. I saw it. Luckily, I saw it at the dollar show. It was the swingers. Oh. <laughs> oh, <hope>. um, <laughs> The dollar show is where it belongs. Um, Julianne Moore playing the Vera Mars part. Vigo Mortensen playing the John Gavin role oh, as the God. boyfriend. William H. Macy now playing uh, Albert Gast, the detective who goes into the house. So it's just updated 90s version. Yeah, Robert Forster it. turns up. James Remar plays the highway patrolman who stops Marion on her way. Do you remember that sequence where she gets stopped by the highway patrolman when she first steals the money? Yeah. In the original, which again is another scene we should have mentioned who at the top of the him? show. Um, James Remar. Oh, okay. It's a wonderful eighties actor that I really, really liked in the Warriors and various things. Why is that? So we had a big Gus that? Van Sant. It was Gus Van Sant. Everyone wants to be in it. It's like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. But as we now know, it's one of the worst fucking movies ever. Yeah, it was ever. so bad. Yeah. Um, and I still to this I day don't know why I watched it. That, I mean, that's one of the. If I met Gus Van Sant, I would want to ask him. <laughs> I would want to just say, why the hell have you made that? Why did you do that? Yeah. But yeah, unfortunately for all of us, that film does exist. So, don't ever spend any of your time even wasting a second on that. Um, no, I, w- I would watch the TV show before that movie. <laughs> if you want the real deal, it's always the 1960, classic. Alfred Hitchcock's original Psycho. Of course. Which takes us to, well, it takes us out of this show, that's it. Yeah, We're that's done. it. So, episode 27, welcome back, everyone. I was about to do my porky pick, uh, but, 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 oh. but that's all, folks. <laughs> Please, please tell me that's <laughs> that will stay in. Um, <laughs> no, I'm editing that no out. Way. That's going out. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs>
But if you want more of our goofiness, just come uh, visit us at Sound and Vision. And we have Nightmare Cinema also, where we talk about the yeah, scary movies. Yeah, which is movies. a horror-based one, yeah. Yeah, the scary movies fun. we love. But we have Sound and Vision and 2020 Vision, which is our fun little groups to come join us on Facebook. Join us on Instagram. Absolutely. So as of episode 28, Psycho, this is your host, Ian James, saying goodbye. And this is Hope saying goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.